0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 121.
1: By the power of
0: Mjolnir! No, it's Mjolnir, and that's Thor, not Odin.
1: By the power of Munin and
0: Runin. Munin and Hunin? Yes, them. Hunin and Munin? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Memory and thought? I could tell that you really brushed up on your uh, mythological knowledge for this one, Albert.
1: (laughs) Well... Yes, I get it all by osmosis. My kids have been reading... Um, oh, what's that series called? The Dresden Files? The mytho- no, not The Dresden Files, no. <laughs> you don't think your kids would like The Dresden Files? Percy Jackson and Friends. Well, they probably would. No, they've been reading Percy Jackson, and that, that covers Greek mythology, but then there's another one set in Norse mythology, I believe. And an Egyptian one also. All of the Percy Jackson line or different lines? It's the same... It's the same universe, the same uh-huh. author, but they're different series, with different main characters. Uh-huh. Percy Jackson okay. is only Greek. I and have there's another character. I for have the not I read thought. Percy Jackson. Other I read
0: highbrow literature like Dresden Files.
1: They're apparently pretty good, though. You know, I listened to some of the Egyptian one in the car, the audiobook, and I did not find it very good. I find I found the weird. Personally, I, it was weird edited, and some of the stuff didn't really make sense, and a little bit too much a. Uh, Suspension of disbelief for me, but maybe I'm just not the target audience. I'm sorry, suspension
0: of disbelief in a book about Roman gods are actually alive?
1: What (laughs) suspension of disbelief are you getting into at that point in time? It's magic. It it was that these, what what I found hard to swallow, maybe because I didn't hear the whole thing, is because uh, these kids were now running a a school for teaching other would-be magicians. And, you know, it's two kids doing this. Isn't there like the one teacher? I know
0: a little bit about the Percy Jackson, but isn't there like that one teacher who's the um, the half-goat I can't remember what it's called the satyr.
1: So yeah, so, so the, one I, the one I heard the audiobook is the the Egyptian mythology.:
0: oh, I'm thinking Percy Jackson.:
1: In there, I think the kids were running it themselves, and the, and the kids were like teaching all the other kids, and so none of them went okay, to school that is weird.: it was, it was, I don't know. It, I'm sure it was fine, but it wasn't for me. But the reason we're talking about mythology is because today we're talking about mythology in our games. <laughs> Are we? The lore? The lore of the games? Maybe so. We could try and talk about that. Really, we're just talking about two games with theme, right? With mytho- With a Norse theme. I was going to say, two games with theme, that really
0: discredits a lot of our <laughs> games. It's like every other game, no theme. This game, theme. That's especially really horrible to say with, you know, a classic Uwe Rosenberg and Really steeped in theme, you really get that feeling, sarcasm, hashtag.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, theme's what you put into it, I guess. Yeah. You know, actually, the uh, the low player count guys just had a, an interesting discussion about, not theme. Lore. Lore in games. Mm-hmm. And th- that was interesting. That was fun to hear. It was. Mm-hmm. I, I kept wanting to interject, but nobody heard me.
0: <laughs> they should get one of those video li- uh, the phone call lines so you can oh, call yeah. in and tell them,
1: Hey, guys, <laughs> you got it all wrong. That's right, yeah. Or, or, or I guess I could subscribe to their uh, their threads and comment on them. But I don't get around to doing that. But yeah, so today, because we keep digressing, we're talking about a couple games. One is going to be um, actually by uh, Chris Hansen, right? A print-and-play game called Odin Quest. Mm-hmm. And then Julius is talking about... Uh, Fees for Odin. Yes, indeed. So two Odin games. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm.
0: Is this becoming the new Zombies?
1: It might be. You know, I mean, I know of at least one other game off the top of... Two other games off the top of my head that are Norse myth, right? Yeah. There's uh, Yggdrasil. Yeah. And there's Odin's Ravens. I hear that. Oh, Odin's Ravens. There you go. Now you can have a reason
0: to quote Hugen and Munin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a really good game. Have you ever played that game? Odin's Ravens. Really I have not. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't okay. think it's solo friendly, is it?
1: No, it's not. It's definitely a two-player mm. game. It's a race, and it's just it's a fun game. Unfortunately, I believe no, it's not hard to get. It was reprinted. I think so. Um, anything solo newsworthy for from you? Blair about this mm-hmm. game
0: card rogue that just got
1: released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got mine. I got my copy in the mail. Okay, how's that? Well, I haven't played it yet. I want to play it, but the uh, unfortunately, the box does not bring the rules. You got to go online to find them, which is an interesting way to do it. Wait, wait. There's no rules printed in the actual
0: box. It doesn't come with rules.
1: Nope, doesn't come with rules. Just the components, the cards, and um, how do you play and the meeple? The and game. You, you go online and get the rules. I haven't done it yet. I just got the game yesterday, actually.
0: Oh, so you haven't got a lot of real information on it?
1: Nope, not yet. And you know, the back of the box here, I've got it in my hands. It is a very plain box. I think it's really neat. It just, on the top left corner, it says, a tabletop roguelike. And this box is about the size of a hostage negotiator box. The bottom right corner has a UPC. And in the middle, at the back of the box, it says, find instructions, score sheets, and other content at cardrogue.com. So you know, if you get the game... You know, and the front, again, is very simple. It's got a picture of a dice and a little ladder going into a hole. And it says, Card Rogue, a tabletop roguelike. So if you want any more information, you have to go online and get it. Well, I'm looking at the rules right now, and I see that the game
0: just got out to you, right? Right. Which means that it probably just got released, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There are already two revisions in on the rules. They're already up to version 1.12. 1.2.
1: Yes, or, or on its way to be released. Yeah, small revisions. <sighs> I haven't yeah, I haven't looked at it yet. I mean, small
0: revisions? But I don't know. That I I that makes me very hesitant.
1: Yeah, well, if you look at the no, seriously, if you look at the at the the website, there is a document showing you the changes to the rules, and it's a total of a page and a half, and they really are small changes. I mean, yeah, there
0: are small changes. Do they think any playtesters? Do we know if they had any playtesting in this game? I, believe we, I think we actually talked about this when they were doing this on Kickstarter.
1: Mm-hmm, I do remember talking about it. You
0: backed it, it because of rule rulebook? And
1: I was excited by it, and I definitely backed it because of that.
0: Oh, I wonder if that works on anybody else.
1: No, because of the discussion that we had of the, just of the game. It sounded great. So <laughs> I backed it. I don't know. Maybe. It was $20, so probably.
0: Yeah, but I, I really wonder how much that's because of us.
1: It it worked on somebody else because they got backed, it funded. <laughs> I
0: always do wonder.
1: <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah. You think so? I I get the feeling we don't make a lot of difference, but I don't know. I think so. I do, just because you, you never see people mention. Oh, I heard on the one player podcast. I've rarely I've seen people mention. Oh, I heard on the one player guild, or oh hey, this was a. I saw this on Ricky Royal's video, but I, never, I rarely ever hear. Oh, I saw this, on the, heard this on the One Player podcast. So I think we just are not super influential. Yeah, well, you know, the, the reason I've always done a podcast is because I wanted to hear a solo podcast. So, so as long as I am enjoying it, <laughs> I am good.
0: <laughs> I suppose. I mean, yeah, I am also enjoying running it. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but we're actually seeing somewhat of a decline in our listener numbers.
1: Hmm. Yep, it, it looks. I think
0: you and I have talked about this in the past.
1: Yes, we've talked about it offline, right? And it, it looks like it went down last year at some point.
0: Yeah, like mid twenty sixteen, we saw a decline. I mean, there's a general incline, but it stepped off, and and you know for a bit there, and I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the thing is, the statistics are not very, I think, clear, and you can't tell. You know, Could it be a technical issue, something that changed with the, the host pod being? I feel like we need to post on the guild. I don't know if we could
0: call it our guild, but we need to post on our guild and try and see how many people will actually say, hey, I'm a listener, and give us some feedback on maybe things they're looking for, things they want to see in the podcast.
1: Maybe mm-hmm. yeah, we could do that. It's a good idea do a survey. Do you, do you listen? Yes or no? Um, if you know why, you know, if, if you do, what yeah. do you wish was different? Or what maybe? would you like yeah, to see? We could do that. That's not a bad idea. I would
0: like to see it. Just because I would like to know, how many, li- how many listeners do we actually have on the Guild? You know, just to really, and, and like, do we affect your buying habits? Do we not? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I'm kind of curious.
1: I, I It's made me laugh because uh, I remember one time somebody, when we were talking about how the Guild had grown, and it was up in like a thousand or so range, somebody said wow, this is the largest guild not associated with a podcast. <laughs> it's like, um, but, Somebody said that? Yes. Which, you know, fair enough, it, it was really no longer about the podcast. You know, it, long ago it stopped being about the podcast and really just been about solitary gaming. <laughs> I know,
0: but it was it was our podcast. It was like the guild well, yeah. for the
1: podcast. Look for it,
0: and, and we need a new guild for podcast discussion. I'm, I'm often no. hesitant to post too much about the podcast on the guild because... I think that the majority of guild members don't actually listen to the podcast.
1: Yeah, I, I mean well, they can't because there's six thousand people and we get maybe a thousand downloads. Yeah. So But uh you know, I, I don't think it bothers me personally. I've always assumed that the the point of the one player guild is to share any information that solitaire gamers may find interesting and discussion about the podcast is something people may find interesting. I hear that. Definitely not everybody's gonna care about every subject post no matter what they are, so yeah. I hear that. Yeah, you know, that's what. That's also never have any, had any issues with any other podcast posting on there. Like, yeah, absolutely. If it's if it's useful for solitaire gamers, put it up. Yeah, but I mean, unlike the low player count guild,
0: there's a lot of feedback that they get, a lot of discussion have on many of their threads. I'm just throwing it out there. I think the same is also true of many other podcasts, like onboard games, things like that. There's a lot more discussion to have about their podcast, whereas the guild has a lot of discussion, and I don't really want to detract from any of that discussion, but. You know it's not the discussion about topics on the podcast, so we don't really, we don't get that feedback that you would see for other other places
1: mm mm-hmm. that's true that's a good point but I think most and maybe i have it wrong, but most of the discussion that happens on the low player Count podcast is because they'll post an entry every time in the on the guild about the episode so you know the episode is out about this or there's an upcoming episode and this is the topic, and so people when they have the post, they give inputs. Um, honestly if we did that even on the one player guild I think there's so much posting that goes on there it would quickly disappear because gosh there's you know every day potentially 10 or 20 posts I don't Mm -hmm. know Uh, maybe we'll post and we'll see what feedback we can get see what readers what listeners think (laughs) and there's another issue it's I'm not very much into social media of any kind so I I I just don't post anywhere (laughs) (laughs) and that might be why people don't reply to
0: them I, I, I get in some things but other things not like you know i i at one point in time i was thinking about doing some live gaming on like uh twitter or on facebook live or something like that just to sort of you know just to sort of do it and see who would come watch mm-hmm. unfortunately i don't have the equipment to do it and it's expensive <laughs> it's, to buy the equipment yeah. necessary to do it but i was thinking about doing it i would certainly i would certainly like to do it but the equipment is a hurdle to get past in order to be able to manage it
1: yeah, I've never been one to watch videos at all, so I, I couldn't give you much input on that.
0: I, I mean, I like people who do it, but yeah, I do. There's some people who do live board gaming and stuff like that. It's actually it's fun to watch. Okay, I do. I like watching some. It's Interesting. Also. We'll see, but we are really far field far over the top.
1: <laughs> we are well. So yeah, I have I have the game. I do not have the rules. I was planning on printing them out, but then I saw its thirty page rule book. And it looks like it. I mean, it's not dense. It's probably thirty pages, um, like in a folio size, like you know, where you print two two pages per side of a paper.
0: I'm just. I don't like the idea that there's nothing printed. I mean, that could be because I have an internal bias because I can't read rules that are digital on Shabbos. So Mm -hmm.
2: that that may
0: be why I have that, but still. I don't know, I don't like it, but I'll make you a deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna withhold judgment. Let's see if we can get some gameplays of it in and see how bad it actually is.
1: <laughs> Alright, fair enough. I, I would admit though, I, I am not keen on the idea of reading it online, and if that's what I have to do, I will, but I'd much rather have a printed rule book.
0: I, I, I mean, I do play not I do play during the week. I would learn it from the rules. It would be okay.
1: That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll print it. It's only 30 pages, so that comes out to about seven and a half sheets of paper. That's not that bad. 8 sheets of paper. I don't know. I'll see. Either I'll print it or I'll try it online. And then try the game. I am excited about the idea of a roguelike. Then when when I look at the front of the box, it's got that little ladder going down to the next <laughs> level. And a die almost about to fall in, it looks like. Makes me really excited to play the game.
0: <laughs> and how it tricks you with that. That's a that's really interesting cover design.
1: Hmm. I think it really is very, very different, very unique.
0: Well, I think that they've messed with um, depth perception to pull off that particular illusion, because I assume that one of the cards, I think actually one of the cards is supposed to look like that hole with the ladder, but they've messed around with depth perception so that the ladder actually has a 3D look, but on the other <laughs> half, it doesn't have a 3D look.
1: Yes. Yeah, you're right. It looks like it's a card with a yeah. ladder sticking out of the artistic hole in the card that's neat yep i want to play it i think that i i last night i played a game solitaire is my first solo play of the month i think it is it was um uh, i played five tribes last night that was fun cool have you played that i have played five tribes yes not solitaire okay no it works pretty well solitaire i i like it better with three players i think it's more a little more chaotic and it works that works well in this game but Solitaire is fun Ooh. and it's challenging. You know, I, I was doing pretty... I thought I was doing okay, probably not a great score, but then, you know, I was pushing my luck a little bit and ended up losing because the uh, the opponent got six uh, Viziers. I think it's Viziers. And that's an instant loss.
0: Oh, speaking of games we recently played, let me ask you a question. What's a good way to shuffle a 200-card deck? <laughs> Dig- digitally? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I got a copy of Pillars of Eternity. Mm-hmm. Lords of the Eastern Reach, and there's one main deck that you draft out of, which is a 200-card deck that you have to shuffle at the beginning of each game.
1: Uh, yeah, that's frustrating. It's not very well shuffled right now. Yeah. You know, we'll either sleeve them, but then that makes it a really thick deck, which is still hard to sleeve. Oh, gosh. No. Where what I end up doing is I, I shuffle it a little bit, you know, struggle with that, and then split into two decks and shuffle each deck individually. And then maybe mix them up a little bit and shuffle a little more. Oh, well, we'll see. But it, uh, yeah, it's always a burden. 200 cards is a lot. Well, my Star Realms has like may- maybe that many cards in it now because I've got a bunch of expansions <laughs> in it. So when I play it, I'll, I'll sort of shuffle... I'll break it up into three decks and then shuffle each one. And then as I'm playing, I have three draw decks and I just alternate which one I take from each turn or, or maybe sometimes change it around a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to get a couple more plays into that and I'll get back to you on what I think about Lords of the Eastern Reach... Okay. Pillars of Eternity. Is
1: that a fantasy adventure or something like that? It is, yes. Okay. Is it a deck builder?
0: No, it's not. It's a tableau builder.
1: Mm -mm. Okay. Well, neat. So, shall we start talking about our Odin games? Yes. This is where we should put in uh, Chris's review of Odin Quest. Odin Quest. Uh, It's a print and play game. That's all I know. Let me look it up. Odin Quest.
0: Well, I think Chris normally does a good introduction on them. Why don't we just let Chris talk about it? All right. All right, Chris, lead it on us.
3: Hi, welcome to PNP Patrol. I'm Chris, and today I'm talking about Odin Quest by Todd Sanders. In Odin Quest, you're playing as a lesser god in the Norse pantheon, Ragnarok is fast approaching, and you must journey through the nine realms to defeat all of the enemies before they can invade Valhalla. This game is set up with nine realm cards, all the the realms of the Norse mythology set up in a circle around the board, and then each realm is going to get encounter cards placed face down above it. So you'll have this circle with the, the realm and then a little stack of cards right above it. And there's symbols on the realm card that let you know which encounter cards to place. And basically there are light realms where you're going to meet allies who are going to help you. And there's dark realms where you're going to meet the foes of Valhalla that you must defeat. So the gameplay in Odin Quest, the basic movement is simple enough. Um, You start in Valhalla at the top of the circle. And then you just move clockwise or counterclockwise along that circle from realm to realm. There's also a bridge card in the middle of the circle that you could use to go across the circle if you wanted to instead of going to the next adjacent card. And when you get to a realm, you'll flip over the encounter cards one at a time and you'll resolve each encounter to clear that realm out. And once it's cleared, then then you're done with that realm and you can move on to to the next one. You also start the game with a hand of 12 action cards, and you're going to use these to help resolve the encounters. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we talk about how how you're going to be resolving the encounters. So there's four types of encounters that you can have at each realm. The first one is a ward, and basically this is just a magic spell that uh, will go into your hand with those other action cards. And it can give you a bit of help. Some of them can be used multiple times, and some of them are one-time use. But basically, it's a small spell you can cast to get some benefit. There's also event encounters. These will modify the rules for that turn or create a situation that you must resolve uh, in addition to the other encounters that you're going to have on that event. And that can last from turn to turn to turn in some cases. You'll also meet allies that will join you on your quest and help you to clear out these realms. These are just characters. They will give you some added benefit when you encounter the foes. And finally, the last type is those foes. These are monsters or enemies that are threatening Valhalla, and you have to battle them to clear them out of that realm uh, so that you can move on to the next one. So each type of encounter has its own rules for how it gets resolved. A ward encounter, there's nothing to do. You simply, when you encounter it, you pick it up, and put it into your hand, and you can use it later on. The event encounter, this one, typically you'll just read what it says. Uh, each one's going to be a little bit different, so you'll, you'll read what it says and follow the instructions. Um, some of them will have you make some modification to your current hand or what you can do, and then others will have you place omen markers. And these omen markers represent greed, fear, doom, very negative things. They'll get placed around the Circle of Realms, according to the rules on the event card. So the ally and foe cards, those are going to be resolved kind of similarly. So for the foe and the ally cards, both type of cards, when you encounter them, they're going to roll seven dice to get their strength. And when you roll those seven dice, you're going to place them in order from smallest to largest. So you'll line them up. The ones and twos down at the bottom, and the five and sixes up at the top, all in numerical order. And then you look at the card, and there's a map of the seven dice printed on the card with red and white boxes. And the way this works is the red boxes represent the dice that you keep. And the white boxes are dice that are discarded and won't count toward the total. So, for example, you might see uh, a series like white, red, red, white, you know, and so on. And that would mean the first die is a white box, so you you can discard that one. And then the next two dice are red boxes, so you're going to keep those ones. And then the fourth die, in that numerical order, if that's a white box, it gets discarded as well. And the placement of those can help determine how easy or difficult it is to win that encounter. If you have white boxes on the end where the high dice are, you're going to be removing your fives and sixes. Uh, And if they're on the low end, you're removing your 1s and 2s, so the total strength of that encounter is going to vary based on how those boxes are positioned. So when you're encountering a Faux card, one of your enemies, you're also going to need to resolve a Conflict card. And the Conflict card is going to add a number. There's a number printed on the card that will get added to the total of the dice. And the number ranges from, like, 5 to 10. And there's also going to be a special rule... Uh, that will apply to that round of combat for any of the foes that are in that realm. Usually these do not work out in your favor. So once you've gotten the total amount for either the foe or the ally, then you're going to play action cards from your hand, uh, those 12 cards that you start out with, and you can play up to three of them safely. Each action card uh, has similar boxes on it for dice. And... Action cards can range from one dice to three dice, and each one also has a special power. They also all have a symbol, as do the foes and allies. So if the symbol matches the symbol that's on the card you're encountering, you can't use it. So for example, if you have the card with um, the eye for wisdom, the eye symbol represents wisdom, and the foe that you're encountering also has a wisdom symbol you can't use that action card. So you wouldn't be able to play that as one of the ones to get your dice. So after you've played your three action cards, you'll add up the number of boxes that are on all those cards, and that's how many dice you can roll to try to beat the total of the card you're encountering, be it a foe or an ally. Now it's important, you can you can play more than three action cards. if you want, If you need extra dice, you could play four cards or five cards But any cards you play more than three are removed from the game forever. So if you have to play four cards, you're going to have to choose one of those cards to be removed from the game. So typically it's a good idea to try to stay within three cards so that you're not losing cards that you could use on a future turn. Cards that are removed from the game are are gone forever. You can't ever use them again. I mentioned that each action card has a power printed on it. When you're playing your action cards, uh, your three or or possibly more, uh, you can pick one of the cards you've played to use its power. And this will give you a benefit in a fight or help you to clean up those evil omens that I mentioned from neighboring cards. And if you are encountering a foe, you can also use one of the allies that you have in your hand, if you've picked one up already, to add more dice to your roll. And this, is, this doesn't count towards your three-card action card limit. This is a totally a bonus action that doesn't count against you. You can play one of these allies, and each ally rolls four dice, and then has a similar red and white box grid to help you know, like this one can use the three top dice, or this one can use the second dice and the fourth dice. Each one's going to be a little bit different and let you roll dice that you can add to your total. So after you've summed up all of your dice, you compare it to the total that was rolled by the foe or the ally, and if you have rolled greater, not equal to but greater than their total, then you have defeated that foe or convinced the ally to join your quest. Uh, the, The fighting between the two is similar between foes and allies, which is kind of funny, but I guess you have to prove yourself to the ally to get them to join your quest. So when you do these encounters, you get an event for winning or losing them, For a foe, if you do not defeat the foe, if you're not able to roll higher than it rolled, then it's going to have a negative effect. And that's usually, it's going to cause you to place omens on neighboring cards, clockwise or counterclockwise around the circle. You'll draw omens randomly out of a cup and place them on the cards, sometimes two cards, sometimes three cards. You'll place one omen on each one, uh, and it'll tell you how how many cards to place an omen on. Uh, Some cards might also have you discard action cards from your hand, so you have less to work with going forward. Um, So there's definitely some negative repercussions if you can't win against a foe. Um, If you do win uh, against a foe, you you defeat it, you remove it from the game, and typically they will also give you some type of benefit, like being able to remove omens from neighboring cards. Um, But instead of being random ones, you have to remove specific ones. So it's a little harder to remove them than it is to place them Uh, the procedure for the ally very similar to the foe except there's no conflict cards so there's not any added uh, number to their strength and there's not any uh, rules that work against you Um, and you can't use any ally cards to help convince an ally to join your quest so it's just your action cards and the other good thing there's no repercussion for losing you can just try again and if you win Uh, You just draw the ally into your hand, and you can use it later when you're fighting a foe. So you repeat this process. You go through the nine realms and resolve the events and clear out the foes and enemies that are there. Then you're going to do your score. You're going to get three points for every foe you defeated in battle. You're going to get three points for every realm that you've cleared of the cards. Uh, There's nine realms, so typically you'd go through and and clean, clean out each of those, getting three points for each one. And then you're going to subtract a few. If there's omens still on the board, if you weren't able to remove them by uh, defeating foes or using your your wards to help remove those omens, you're going to get negative one for every omen that's still on the board. And you're also going to get a negative one to your score for every action card that you remove from the game. And that's when you have to play more than three action cards in a round of combat and you remove the fourth or the fifth from, from that. You're going to lose a point every time you have to do that. Alternatively, you could also just lose the game if you're not able to clear all nine realms and you find yourself, you've discarded so many action cards that you're only down to two in your hand, uh, then you've lost the game automatically. And if you ever get to the point where there's 18 omens on the board or more, then you've also lost the game and you're not able to complete the quest of clearing out Valhalla and the realms from all of its enemies. So that's the gameplay in a nutshell. I want to talk about uh, some of the things I liked about the game and some of the things that maybe weren't as strong. I think this game is filled with interesting decisions. I talked about playing those action cards from your hand to defeat foes or to convince allies to join your quest. But what's really unique about this system is that once you've played a card, you can't use that card again it stays in your discard pile until you've used all your other cards so you have to wait until your hand is down to just two or three action cards before you can draw your discard pile back into your hand so that means any ally you use is going to stay in your discard pile or any ward spell that you use is going to stay in your discard pile and most importantly the action cards that you use i'd mentioned they range from one to three dice it's really tempting to use your powerful cards right away, like you encounter a foe and you're like, Oh, I'm going to beat you, you know, and I'm going to play all my cards that have three dice on them so I can just roll like crazy and defeat you. You know, you, you can almost guarantee a success unless you roll like a ton of ones or something. But you won't get those cards back until you've used up the rest of your hands. So if you start out really strong and play all your three dice action cards... The next foe you meet, you're just going to have a bunch of one-dice action cards or maybe a few two-dice action cards. So you've really got to balance how you use those cards so that you can have them when you need them if you're meeting an ally where there's not a negative repercussion to losing you might want to hang on to your your bigger action card so that you can use them on a foe later but it's a tough decision cuz you don't you you want to get that ally in your hand as well so it, there's a lot of of balance and decision making that you have to do there uh, there's also risks involved if you have an ally card that you're playing against a foe some of those ally cards are going to be removed from the game i guess maybe they die in the fight if you don't win. If you win against the foe, that ally card just goes into your discard pile and you can use him again once you've cycled through and drawn your discard pile. But if you lose in that encounter, that ally card could just be gone. So it's risky to use one and you you really need to balance out and make those decisions like, you know, am I pretty confident I can win here? I need a little boost, but I think if I use my ally, I can do it. But if I don't, He's going to die. So uh, I love those kind of decisions in this game. Those kind of things come up over and over and over every time you're encountering a foe. A lot of tough decisions about how you're going to proceed. If I go counterclockwise, I'll encounter one foe. But if I go clockwise, I'll encounter... Two foes, but on the other side of it is an ally and a ward. So if I can just beat those two foes, I'm going to be able to pick up these really helpful things into my hand. So you're always kind of weighing these decisions about how do I want to approach this, uh, these these enemies, um, where do I want to spend my resources? I think that makes it very fun. This this theme of Norse mythology sucks you in, and the decisions are fun to make. It's kind of that nail biting feel a lot of the time, and also just that. A fun bucket of dice kind of combat. I really like the way everything fits together. There's also um, just tons of variety in the cards. This game has a lot of cards. There's plenty of foes and allies that are mixed in, and I think it would take a few gl- a few games to get through them all. Like you're not going to see them all in your first game. You're not going to play the same game twice because there's so many different foes and allies, and your realms are going to be in a different order when you set it up, and So you're going to be encountering foes and allies in different places. All that said, the game can get slightly repetitive. Um, It's maybe a little bit long for for what it is. What I mean by that is the cards aren't necessarily all that different from each other. There's a lot of different foes, and they all have kind of a different arrangement of what dice they're going to roll, but they're not fundamentally different from another in really meaningful ways. They all roll seven dice, and they all place or remove omens once you defeat them or, or lose to them in battle. Allies are the same way. They, they all will add a certain number of dice. But one ally isn't really that different from another ally. It's just which, which dice you can use that uh, creates creates that difference. Um, and the game takes between 45 minutes and maybe 90 minutes to play. Most of my games, maybe about an hour that can feel just a little bit too long. Um, When I get to the end of the game, I'm kind of ready to get to the end of the game. It can start feeling a little bit samey, but that's a small complaint. Like, in general, this is just a really clever, well-thought-out system, so it's just that, you know, when you're encountering 10 different foes, each one is kind of the same as the last. Uh, Another thing to keep in mind with this game are the symbols on the cards. These cards are filled with symbols. There's symbols for the omens, there's symbols for the different types of cards, the, the foes and allies, everything has their own symbol. You're really going to need the reference card that comes with the game uh, that, that has all the symbols listed out because I think one of the small flaws with this game is that the symbols are used kind of inconsistently. Uh, sometimes it just lists the symbol and it'll say, like, you know, remove one of this symbol. And then other times it'll say, use your wisdom symbol. And so you have to be able to know that the wisdom symbol is the one that looks like an eye because it doesn't have that symbol on it. It'll just have the name of the symbol. And then other times it has the symbol, but without the name. Again, this is a very small complaint. There's a reference card that makes it very simple, but it could have been a little bit more consistent. I also think there may be a few balance issues with the game. In general, the game is very balanced. Using your action cards uh, to defeat a foe feels very very tight Um, you know if you play the action cards to get that huge bonus then your next turn you're not going to have those same cards and so it's going to be harder to defeat the next foe you encounter so that kind of thing works out perfectly Um, what I'm talking about are like some of the ward cards feel like the bonus they give you uh, is unusually strong compared to Uh, Some other bonuses, Uh, some of the other ward cards, which are generally pretty benign. It's it's something simple like adding a value to your dice or something like that. You know, like add one to every three that you roll, that kind of thing. Um, It's nice, but not a deal breaker as far as balance goes. But uh, there's one card, and I'm probably going to massacre the pronunciation here, but it's the Gungnir card, the Spear of Odin. It lets you discard foes in neighboring realms. No fight required, You just, if you're in a realm and there's a foe next to you, you can play that ward and boop, the foe is gone. I assume that you don't get the three points for defeating it if you do that, but it's that's a small price to pay for just being able to get rid of a foe and clear out the realm and not have to do another fight and risk getting omens all over the board. Also with the balance is that every realm has an easy and an advanced side. If you play all of the cards on that easy or or basic level, the game is probably a little bit too easy. The event encounter cards are not even used in in that game. There's only one event card on the whole board, and there's a lot fewer foes that you're going to encounter. Um, But alternatively, if you play all of the cards on the advanced side, I think it might be a, a little bit too hard. You've got events all over, and events are not good for you in general. So just about every realm you go to is going to have an event, and that can get very, very challenging as well. So it's probably best to mix it up a little, have some basic and some advanced cards, but finding that perfect balance uh, to get a challenging game that isn't impossible to beat, or, at least, very, very difficult to beat. You have to kind of put some work in there to find what the right balance is. And I wish that the rules had included something like for an intermediate game, play these realms on the basic side and these realms on the advanced side. Again, not a huge complaint because you can, you know, you could even just shuffle them up and play some on the basic and some on the advanced and probably have a pretty good game. But there's probably some trial and error to find like what the perfect mix for you is going to be. Thematically, this game is amazing. Every card is filled with Norse mythology. I've had a lot of fun just googling the events or the items or the people that are represented on the card and reading about these elements of Norse mythology. You can tell that a lot of research went into this game to figure out the best elements of Norse mythology to tie into this game. It's really, really well done. If you enjoy Norse mythology, this game is fantastic just to see all of the things that Todd Sanders was able to get in here. I don't know a lot about the subject. Norse mythology is not really my area of study at all, but I still really enjoyed the game. So I don't feel like you know you need to know anything about Norse mythology to enjoy it, but I think it can add an element uh, of fun to the game if you do. Uh, the artwork in the game is absolutely beautiful probably some of the best artwork I think I've ever seen in a free print-and-play game that you can just download for free and and make. I know from talking with uh, Todd that this was, I think, his first attempt, or one one of his first attempts at creating all original artwork in a game. But typically Todd's work, if you're familiar with his games, he would go find public domain images, like woodcuts from the medieval era or um, old advertisements from the early 1900s where these images are in the public domain and he'll repurpose them. He, he, he uses them and applies filters to them or puts them into his game in creative ways, but he's not creating the artwork. Uh, this is one of his first games where he drew every image in here himself, and it's absolutely beautiful. I know he spent about three months creating the images for this game, which is really impressive, considering that it was always intended to just be a free game that he gave away online. One final note thematically, I think your character in the game is a little weak. Like every character you meet has some tie-in to Norse mythology or every event has some tie-in to a you know an event of Ragnarok or something like that. Your character is just listed as a child of the seer basically the the Norse pantheon. And there's no character development. Like, you don't know who you are. And in some ways, that's probably good because... Uh, Todd provides two character tokens, one male, one female, so you can you know play that however you want, and, and both boys and girls feel very invested when they play because of that, I think. But it might be a little bit of a weakness that you don't know anything about yourself or why you've been chosen for this quest, other than that you are part of that pantheon and Odin has chosen you. A few other things to be aware of, and this is n- not a negative, just something to be aware of, Uh, this is a large game to play it requires a lot of table space these cards are tarot sized and they're played in a big ring you kind of lay them out like a clock and there's two layers of cards because you have the realm and then the encounter cards above them so it it takes up a lot of space I, i played this on my card table and it pretty much filled up the card table I think on a regular kitchen table or or dining room table, you'd be totally fine. But it's just something to be aware of. You you, you do need some table space for this. And there's an alternate shape provided uh, where the cards are just in a grid. And there's some arrows to kind of help you recreate that circle movement uh, in the rules so that you can figure it out. So if you absolutely couldn't lay it out on a circle, you, you could still play the game with that grid and have a smaller table space. But it's probably more enjoyable in that ring of realms and a little bit more thematic as well. One comment on the rules. There's probably a few places where the rules are unclear. I know the first version of the rules just came out on the cards themselves, and then Todd later on created a rule book that just printed on on normal A4 letter paper. But I think making them on the cards originally may have made them a little bit shorter than they should have been. This is not a difficult game to play, but I found the rules to be a little bit obtuse to get through. I had to read them a few times, and kind of try things out to figure out exactly what was going on. Uh, I really think the rules could have benefited from just an example of play, you know, here's we're encountering a foe, here's everything we do and just step through that process. So it's really not hard to 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 do, but it's a little bit hard to learn from those rules, I think. There's also a few places where I think the rules might be a little bit unclear. For example, some of the foes, if you don't defeat them, they'll tell you to discard an av- one of your ward cards, for instance. And But they don't tell you, is, is it my choice? Is it a random card? And the designer, you know, Todd, is very quick to answer questions on Board Game Geek, but there's definitely some places where the rules could be tightened up a little. Um, but small issue here, this is not a big deal. You know, The rules are good enough to get you playing and enjoy it, but there just might be a few places where you have a question... And have to go check the facts on board game geek as for the print and play aspect of this um this is a a pretty large project to print out this is one of the bigger games i've talked about on the podcast there's about 90 cards in this game and they are tarot size so they don't fit as nicely on a sheet as poker size cards do most print and play card games come with you know a grid of three by three cards so you get nine cards on a page and you can do front and back pretty nicely these cards are laid out quite a bit differently. There's some that are horizontal and some that are vertical uh, just to fit as many on the page as possible. But the tarot cards just do not fit as nicely on the page as poker size cards, which makes them a little bit harder to cut out. You can't do like a straight line all the way across the page. If you're cutting down a row of cards, you might cut one of the horizontal cards at the bottom of the page in half, for instance. The game also comes with a counter sheet. Uh, With front and back for the omen counters. You could use cubes if you didn't want to use those counters, but the counters that are provided with the game have the same symbols that are on all the cards, so I'd probably recommend making them. It's a small counter sheet, but it is another element to make. Typically, I think card games are pretty easy to make, but because of the layout on the page and just the larger size cards, you're going to be going through a lot of pages, there's a lot of cutting. This is a pretty hefty project for just being a card game. But if you don't want to make the print-and-play game, these cards are available on printerstudio.com. You can buy printed copies, and I think that Todd Sanders gets a little bit of money uh, as well when his cards sell on Printer Studio, so that's a a good alternative if you don't want to make the game yourself. All that being said, though, this is probably one of the most beautiful print-and-play games in my collection. If you enjoy the print-and-play aspect, this is a challenge in some ways, but you just end up with such a beautiful project Uh, one that i think is a lot of fun and that you're gonna keep playing for a long time there's a lot of challenge to this and a lot of different things you can try to get your perfect strategy down this is definitely a a very good game i really recommend it highly i've played a lot of todd sanders games this is one of uh, the ones i like the best i think this feels like a little bit more, you know, weighty. This is a, a little bit more heavy game than something like Mister Gardenhead's Cabbage Game, uh, which I love that game. But this one just feels a little bit more weighty. Like there, there's a really serious game underneath here. So I recommend that you try this. Give it a print, play it. I think you'll love it. And if you'd like to reach me, you can find me on Board Game Geek as C Hansen two seven nine four. Or you can email me directly at chris at com. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time.
1: You know what? The art is really nice. Oh, and it's by Todd Sanders.
0: Who is Todd Sanders?
1: Solitaire game designer extraordinaire. He's designed a bunch of solitaire games in a couple years one. <laughs> the solitaire game designer extraordinaire. <laughs> He's designed a bunch of stuff, right? Um and redesigned, and he's especially good with graphic design. He's done Aether Captains. Oh gosh, there's so many stuff. Let me he he does a lot of print and play stuff and contests. He, he enters a lot of contests. He did Land of Enin, which is a really pretty game, super simple game, but super pretty. The Maiden in the Forest, uh, Mister Cabbage Head's Garden game. Oh, he made he made Aether Captains. Yes, he made Aether Captains remember Chris talked about uh, Mr. Cabbage's Garden game a few months ago? Oh, and he redesigned Barbarian Prince. Yes, and it's a great redesign, too. I like his map better. Oh, no, I like the original map better, personally. He did Shadows Upon Lassiter. Lots of stuff, I'm telling you. Solid Game Designer hmm. extraordinaire.
0: Apparently, you can buy the card deck printer studio from Todd Sanders himself. So you can, you can actually get a copy of the game.
1: Very cool. Okay. That might be interesting. I don't know how much that would cost.
0: Well, wait, I'm actually seeing other people who've, who are saying the price increased.
1: That's not bad. One game is... One copy is $30. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's only, it's only a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, comparable to many other games. So Shadows of Pound Lasseter, which is also a deck of cards, 50 cards is $18. Oneerum is about the same, right? Plus a, a plastic meeple for about $30, $25. But, you know, Printer Studio is just sort of expensive anyway, isn't it? I think it is.
0: It depends on how much it is that you're charging. but Ah,
1: uh, that's right. I
0: mean, when I'm doing print and play stuff, I'll typically use drive through cards. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if this game would be available on drive through cards.
1: I don't know either. We should let Chris talk about it. And <laughs> stop rambling. We already let Chris talk about it. We're back. Oh, we're back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we, I keep forgetting that that it's over and just keep talking. Sorry. This is this is what's
0: Julius is doing the editing. I can't remember it's twenty bucks.
1: <laughs> but that is no, it's retail.
0: Yeah, that's retail. What's the issue?
1: Retail. Friendly local okay, games. Twenty five at a. It's twenty five. It? MSRP. You
0: know. So fine, it's twenty five from the little game store, and you're not paying shipping. Here, this is thirty bucks, and I have no idea if there is still shipping.
1: Good point. Mm-mm-mm.
0: So yeah, that's still kind of expensive. It feels expensive having it be thirty bucks because there's no box, well, there's no way, there's no storage, there's no cubes. You know, it's ninety tarot cards. That's it.
1: Well, then you should go see if you could find out if there's a print and play version.
0: There is a print and play version. <laughs> I know there's a print and play version. And we probably heard Chris talk all about the print-to-play version. The game looks gorgeous, and that's all I know about it from just having looked it up. But we're more talking about Mm -hmm. the economics of of print-to-play.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe the price is high to motivate you to print it. Well,
0: speaking about other things that are also really expensive, shall we talk about our other Odin game? Yeah, so let's talk about the other Odin game. We are going to be talking about Feast for Odin commonly referred to as a feast of Odin, feasts for Odin, all sorts of things. But if are at Odin in the same place and probably throw in board game afterwards, you'll eventually get to the right place.
1: And this is the one that has a box big enough to be Odin's dinner table, right? Well, it's, it's a tall box. The box itself, um, I mean, it, without
0: actually going and looking up the inch sizes, it is not a big box in the X and Y dimension, but in the Z dimension, it is big. So it is a tall box, but it is not a very wide box. If you're familiar with very many other Z-Man games, so it's the type of box that fits easily and nicely on your shelf. It is not the square box from like a Ticket to Ride size box.
1: Okay, so same size as uh yep, Agricola, yep. Gates of Loyang, right?
0: Fields of Arrow. but deeper than those, deeper than those by a fair margin, probably about twice the size ish.
1: Hmm, okay. Let's see what BGG says on that. Because, I mean, can this be a substitute dinner table or a substitute game table? Can you play the game on the box?
0: No. No, you may not. You absolutely may not. (laughs) Okay. You absolutely may not, because the box itself is about the size of one player board.
1: Huh, okay. 4.72 inches. Wow. So four and three quarters. And for comparisons, Field of Arrow, which is a pretty thick box, is a whole inch thinner.
0: I never held Fields mm-hmm. of Aral in my hand,
1: and that, I mean that box is bigger than the or Gates of Luoyang. Yes, so this is even way bigger. Wow,
0: so and it's why, getting bigger, okay. and it's also getting more expensive. Really, too. inexpensive? It did. Oh, more. more expensive. The price went. The price of it went up. <gasps> Um, this game was originally made before Z-Man got purchased by Asmodee but then oh, it yeah. seems like the price has gone up after Z-Man was purchased by Asmodee so it's gone up to 85 point in time on Miniature Market.
1: And apparently that's what happens every time Asmodee buys somebody out. That's what I've heard anyway, I don't know.
0: Um, that's what I've heard and that's what I've, I mean it's hard to contest with really the way it happened in this case because the game was selling for less before the F2Z purchase, or the game ordered for least before the F2Z purchase happened. Now, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. based on local retailers. I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes on that one.
1: Yeah. The, you know, honestly, I, I remember seeing the price online and thought, wow, that's pretty cheap from what I've heard about this game. So maybe the no price idea. is unrealistically lo- low to begin with. Who knows? Yep, yep. And so why is this box so big? the game comes with a ton of
0: pieces if you're familiar with the basic core mechanic of the game is you're going to be getting a bunch of tiles for sundry reasons throughout the course of the game you're going to be putting these tiles on your home board and various other boards each of the home boards will give you the different sorts of bonuses and things um so for example one of them they they might give you extra income or they might give you more tiles um And each of those boards, by covering up spaces, will give you those options. In addition, each of the boards commonly has negative points spot on them. And if you cover those over, so then you don't lose those points at the end of the game. If you don't cover them over, you do lose those points at the end of the game. And sometimes if you do really badly, you might end up costing yourself more by taking a board than you got from having the board to begin with. That would not be a good thing to do. So anyway, the game comes with a bunch of boards to cover that up. There's your home boards, there's um, which is your main player board. There's extra houses that you can get. And there's extra exploration islands that you can go explore and come back. And then you have to fill all of those up. Already, there's a lot of cardboard from all the boards you can cover. And then there's all the tiles that you can have. There's two trays, once you punch it all out. There's two trays worth of... Uh, various sizes of tiles that you get throughout the course of the game. So you'll get food and cows and sheep and plunder and jewels and gemstones and all sorts of things that you get out over the course of the game and can grab those tiles and bring them back and put them on your board to cover up various spaces and not lose points or get extra bonuses. Which means that with all of that... So, yes, it it does come with the trays. The game includes two plastic trays in order to help you organize the different types of boards, uh, the different types of tiles, rather. But even before you get to the trays, when you buy the game, it's a four, It's an almost five-inch box. At least three inches of it is a brick of cardboard that you have to punch.
1: So it brings the trays?
0: And yeah, it does come with trays already in it because we're levels of tiles there's the lowest tier which is your orange tier which are farm goods like your wheat your beans things like that there's the red tiles which are your uh, proteins the milk the cows the sheep the fish the meats like that there's (laughs) your green tiles which are processed goods those will be cloth those will be salt meat and bones those type of things, or barrels, and then the blue one are the luxury goods, which are the silver, the fine clothes, the rune stones, and those are organized. Each size has um, an orange, a red, a green, and a blue. And the old red are on the side of each other. You know, quickly duplicated. You can pile them all. In the orange, similarly with the green and blue, but you split up each of those and then you lay them out in the included tray so that it's easy to understand because. Often throughout the course of the game, you're going to be upgrading tiles that you have. You'll be getting the tiles and sort of holding them in your reserve and using other actions to upgrade them, to make them larger, to flip them over from, say, an orange side to a red side, or upgrade them to a green or a blue side. So you'll be upgrading them and moving them around. And so having them all lined up already in that tray helps to understand how the advancing of that all works out. So those two trays... In addition, it comes with the wood pieces, too. A couple, I, I I wish I could say it was every single type of wood piece, but it's not actually. But there's also ore, um, wood, and stone pieces, and those are wood meeples. Um, the, stone, the ore, rather, is just black cubes, but the wood and the stone are actually shaped meeples in brown and gray color, respectively. So each one of those will are special shaped meeples and those are also pretty heavy pieces i wish i wish they had a the made the or per, my personal opinion is i wish the ore had actually also been a different shaped piece of cardboard because the ore can actually go on your board you can actually put it on most of the home board spaces to fill up a square and whenever i do that it looks strange because the ore. Is taller than everything else around there so personally for me whenever I do that I'm actually swapping out the ore with a silver and then putting a silver piece on the board silver being money that you can get it can also put on board but I'm often just swapping it because then it's all flat and level <laughs> it doesn't bother me like it does see in the piece of ore there so I really wish the ore was flat because everything else doesn't go on the board the other wood pieces don't go on the board minor bother I, I imagine it would have been. I, I imagine it would have been hard, or it would have been easier to <laughs> potentially get confused between a one silver piece and an ore had they done that. And so they made it very distinct, so that it can't. But I don't know. I really wish. I wish it just had mm-hmm. it done that way. That's my request. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> but get minor that. nitpick. So there are a lot of components. There's also ships that you can buy throughout the course of the game. You can get ships to go on raids, or to go whaling. In fact, the sh- the while I'm talking about the wailing of the raids, this is at its core a worker placement game. <laughs> Every player is going to have a set of meeples, their own Vikings, that they're going to be putting out on this big board of actions. And the primary goal is to, like I said, to get these tiles, fill up your board, get points, so that at the end of seven rounds, you get a lot of points and a lot of good stuff. Any tiles that you get over the course of the game if they're on a board they're being used for some benefit but if they're not on a board they're going to waste so it's to your advantage to be really refined about how it is that you're using everything yeah so one of the type of actions you can get is to go whaling or to go raiding Um, you can also of similar line go trying Mm -hmm. to hunt you're going to have a deck of cards that are going to be one of various different type of weapons When you're taking any of these raiding or hunting actions, there's actually a set of dice. There's a D8 and a D12 that the game comes with. And you're going to be rolling the die to figure out whether or not you were successful on the raids or the hunts. For hunts, you have to roll low and then spend enough resources or weapons to bring the value down to zero. If you can do that, you're successful. When you're going raiding, you want to roll high, and then many of the tiles that you can raid—again, when you raid, you just go get a tile—many of the tiles that you raid have raid value points. So let's say you rolled an 11. You can take one tile worth 11 or less, and you can add extra resources to increase your raid value. So if you rolled 11 and you put three swords towards it, you now have a 14, so you can take any tile worth 14 or less. The, the tiles that you can raid usually are interestingly shaped. They're not square. All the other tiles in the game are square or rectangle, but these ones are interesting shapes. They're more like you would expect from having played something like Patchwork, where they have you know holes in different places, which can make it good because many of the, the extra boards also need you to have a little bit of flexibility with how you can fit things around To make sure you're getting bonuses or to make sure you can fit this tile in with other tiles and in with space restrictions on the boards. So that is Mm -hmm. an element of randomness and luck that is pretty heavily in the game because i know there have definitely been games where i've been playing where when i take those hunting actions those raiding actions and i just roll poorly you get some workers back but you cannot take that action again especially in solitaire you cannot take that action again for the next two rounds because the way it works in solitaire which i'll get back to but in solitaire you cannot take that action again for the next two rounds because you blew it on the that is a heavy element of luck. When you lose, you still get resources, and you still will usually get back all oh. but one of your meeples. But you don't want to lose. <laughs> when you roll, though, you get to roll three times, you get to balance it off with extra resources, but if you're rolling high, if you, if you nail it with a 12, you will mm-hmm. do better off than if you didn't get a 12 than if you failed.
1: I see. Okay, and they are certainly risk
0: reward spots.
1: So if you succeed, you're not going to lose those two turns of of being able to do the action. You can do it again right away. No. Okay, so you're going to lose the two turns regardless. Well, let me let me explain that a bit better.
0: When you, so in a worker placement game, this one works like many other worker placement games that there's a whole board of different worker actions that you can take. So let's say that I took my two Vikings and I put it on the hunt space. I put my two Vikings there. In a regular game, at the end of the round, once everyone's used all their Vikings around, the all of the Vikings come off the board. When you're playing Solitaire, you have two different colors that you're alternating for. So one round you'll be using red colors and the next round you'll be using yellow colors. So on the red rounds, the yellow tiles, the, the yellow meeples are still on the board from the round before. And then you'll keep alternating it. So always your last round picks. You cannot use again this round.
2: Okay. If
0: you fail on a hunting space, usually all but one of your meeples will come back, but one meeple will stay there and block out that space. I Which see. means that in regular game it's blocked out till the end of the round. In solitaire it's blocked out until the end of next round.
2: Mm-mm. And you didn't
0: get the benefit from it.
1: Yeah. Harsh.
0: It it can be harsh. There's definitely an aspect of risk reward to the spots. They're valuable spots getting them and getting them successfully is worth it. (laughs) Um, They are a good way to convert extra resources because the resources, I didn't go into this yet. The way you get the wood and the stone and the ore are from these mountains tiles. Um, over the course of the game, there's going to be a set of mountain tiles that are going to come out slowly. And each time a mountain tile comes out, it'll have resources put on it. So from left to right, they will be wood, then stone, then ore, then two silver on each spot. And you'll be able to go to the mountain strips. It's one of the work replacement actions to go to the mountain strips and take the resources off those mountain tiles. So it will turn out often that you're getting weapons or that you're getting resources that you need to convert to point generating opportunities. And going to these raiding and going to these hunting are good ways of converting otherwise unused resources to good point building activities. It's a good way to do it, but there's certainly an aspect of risk reward because you didn't need to. You could instead go the, I think, less beneficial, but potentially less risky method of buying buildings and then store your wood and stones buildings which is a way of getting points i just don't know if it's a um high point option to tell you the honest mm-hmm. truth i don't think i've tried doing a game where they're where i've gone heavy on buying buildings so i don't know but I've, okay. I've often gone with the high-risk, high-reward one, and there have certainly been times where that high-risk, high-reward has not turned me out well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's how it goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Take a chance. Let me talk about one other aspect of the game that also helps define the play of the game and is also an aspect of luck. We've talked about how there's a whole pile of worker placement actions In general, across the worker placement board, there's a whole bunch of different actions, but they sort of get lumped into types of things. So, for instance, I'm talking about hunting and raiding actions. There's actually like four? No, there's six hunting actions you could take. But in general, they're all just hunting actions. You go, you roll a die. If you're successful and pay things, you get things back. There's market actions, there's shipbuilding actions, there's trade actions, there's raiding actions. There's, you know, even though there's a whole bunch within that one type, they sort of classify in groups and they're laid out on the board really nicely because even though the first time you look at the board, you're like, oh my gosh, that's a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of things I could do. When you actually start figuring it out, understanding it, It becomes very easy to parse all the different type of actions. It's very easy to start understanding how to work with the actions what all the actions do because they're grouped by similar type. Now then, one of the differences between the different types within a group are whether it requires one, two, three, or four workers to do. In general, a four-worker action, as you would expect, has a higher benefit that you get from it because it took four workers to do. Um, so you, those may often be in heavy demand or people may want to get more actions and go slower, especially in multiplayer, since the last person to put a meeples first person from the next turn. So sometimes you'll find Mm. people who want to go slower and take all the one worker actions so that they're going to be first next turn. You may sometimes see that too, but there's a benefit also for the three and four worker actions, which are. There's a deck of cards, which are occupation cards, essentially. They're special cards, which will give you some sort of bonus. Some of the bonuses may be constant recurring bonuses. Some of the bonuses may be instant bonuses. Some of the bonuses may um, be only triggered bonuses. For example, it may be one that makes you better at raiding. It gives you an extra plus one whenever you raid. Or it may be one that lets you at any time trade in a certain amount of goods for a certain amount of other goods. Or it may be one that right when you play it, if you have some sort of things, it'll give you some bonus. Like if you have four fully loaded boats, you'll get a whole stock mess pile of goods. Um, or there's some that just simply give you goods. So there's a whole there's three decks of them: A, B, and C deck. I have no idea why they split up the B and C deck, because under the rules it says the A deck of of occupations are slightly simpler, and the B and C deck of occupations are slightly more complicated. And it recommends starting with the A deck and then changing to the B and C deck once you're more familiar with it. Which is exactly what I did. I played a couple of games with the A deck and then moved to the B and C deck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I probably I would probably even at this point in time just mix them all up and all together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Nonetheless, um, so uh, B and C deck are not really that much more complicated. There's just more things going on on a card. It's not hard to understand anything like that. Okay. Uh, so with when you go to a three worker action, you get to take an occupation card for free. When you go to a four worker action, you get to play one of those cards for free and they have no effect until you play them most of them give you some end game bonus so like end game points in addition to some sort of thing that they're doing over the course of the game until you play one it doesn't count for anything there's also some worker action spots which will let you to actually just take cards or play cards I think over the ma- the, ve- the majority of the time though you're going to be playing taking and playing cards by also taking three and four worker actions okay those cards, um, there's a whole lot of them, and they can really help you to find your strategy if you're using them well. If you find one, for example, that lets you do rating better, especially in solitaire, where there's no reason not to take X over Y, at the start of the game you may want to start trying to maximize your rating points. If there's one that helps you trade for a lot of, and get a lot of value out of beans, for example, you have the bean farmer. You may want to start doing things that give you beans. So for instance, you'll go to the um, the, the exploration board that gives you a free beans every turn so that you can convert that beans into silver, whatever, whatever it is. So there's a lot of bonus and benefit that you can have to making something that gives you a couple extra points out of these occupation cards that's at the beginning of the game though at the beginning of the game you know the it, it can help you define your strategy at the beginning of the game if you've already built up a strategy and you're already moving through things for instance you're at the late game and you don't have any boats and don't really have much use for boats and you get a card that says oh look at this extra use you have for boats you say that was a useless card <laughs> it's just the way it is there's no draft in the game. Many people have inserted a draft into um, Agricola. I hate playing (laughs) Agricola with a draft. Many people have, have, I mean, Caverna has no draft at all because it's all just a bunch of room tiles open and available for everyone to get. This one doesn't have all the room tiles open available. You do have a set of cards that are specific to you to make you redefine what it is that you're doing. But at the same time, it could work for you or it could not work for you. I haven't seen any of the cards that are you know, totally overpowered that give you a whole bunch of bonuses and a whole bunch of benefits, but it could be there are. I certainly have not seen all of the cards. You don't see a whole bunch in any one game because often it's not really worth it to try and get a whole bunch of those cards because you may not end up with anything. You may not end up with something that's particularly useful to your playstyle. When you do end up with something that's useful to your playstyle and you can play it well though... It's fun. <laughs> I will admit I like playing with those cards. I personally prefer those cards and the implementation of them to either Caverna or Agricola. Yeah, I'd okay. i like both of those. I don't really like having a draft in Agricola. Playing Agricola is has been annoying to me to play it like that. I haven't liked doing it, so I haven't done it. What, why is that? Um, Mostly because if I'm not really well versed at Agricola, I won't understand how to do the draft well. I won't be able to use it Mm -hmm. well. And also, it requires a whole lot of planning and thinking in my brain how I'm going to play the rest of the game before I've even started the game. When I sit down and play the game, I want to play the game. (laughs) It is far too cerebral for me to sit and think about how I'm going to play through the whole game out of the draft of cards. It's just too cerebral. I want to play the game. With this, these come out, you get one at the beginning of the game for free, which gives you something to do straight off, but they come out more over the course of the game while you're playing the game. But then you have a choice if you want to integrate it into your strategy or not, and it's totally up to you. So it's coming out of the course of the game. It's not like I have to sit there and be cerebral for, throughout the whole game. It's not required. Mhm. Yep. And I don't I like it more than Caverna because in Caverna, you have a whole draft of tiles and everyone gets to look at. First of all, in Caverna, all of those tiles are not grouped by similar types. They I mean, they similar colors and similar things to a certain degree, but it's not nearly the tight grouping that you have of the of the grouping of actions because really a lot of that is similar to the type of actions you have because each of the different rooms does something different. But if you're looking for like donkey ones, all the donkey ones are not together. It's over, but there's something by resources. And so you may look across and be like, oh, this one pairs with this one, this one pairs with this one. So you have a whole lot of options that are not in my opinion, grouped particularly well if you're not already familiar with it. You have to look through a lot of options and really start to figure everything out. With this one, you have limited amount of choices, limited amount of selection with those choices, and it's not entirely cerebral. It's done over the course of the game, and it happens one at a time as it comes out. Okay. The only thing I wish it were easier to do would be you know I, I've seen people who have been working on how to reduce the randomness of that draft deck because getting those cards that are useful to you is certainly more fun than having cards which are not useful to you which should mm-hmm. probably which should probably be an obvious you know theory it's more fun to have them be useful than not if you don't have them be useful to you it's there's no way of swapping in the game itself you just sort of stuck with it and set it aside and be like yep can't use it i've seen other people who've talked about ways of you know making drafting your own deck of cards in advance of the game i've seen people who talk about giving you methods of discarding a whole bunch at once and things like that i've thought about making a house rule for trying it out where you're allowed um every time you would draw a card you're allowed to discard one card and potentially draw an extra one to replace it
2: Mm -hmm. i
0: thought about doing that um, I started off trying it. Maybe I'll report back after I try more experiments on house rules. It's not in the game that way, at the very least, and you know that's that's not the, that's not the rules as written. I don't think it would help that much because it's a thick deck. It would give it. It's it's essentially increasing the amount of times that you roll the die using that. I think that possibly a better way of using it would be like a face-down card can... Like like every single card could always be used. I think a better way of having solved the problem just, just in looking back would be something similar to how Mage Knight does... Uh, cards can always be used for this. That there's a generic boost that an action can always give you. So, for example, one card can let you always break rule x or can always let you make one exchange here or can always let you do something but if it, if there were an ability that every card could always have this use that would be a general all-purpose action card available to you i think that might have helped with it just so that you're not stuck with a hand of cards you're not really caring about or interested in using and are just sort of disappointed like oh man that wasn't at all what i was looking for <laughs>
1: yeah yeah is it you know like when i play uh agricola and i never go through all my cards i never manage to use them even if they're perfect cards i'm, I'm just not gonna figure out how to play them all and still get other stuff done so in this game are you able to use all your cards no i mean i it,
0: you may end up using all your cards, but that's only because you didn't draw very many cards. If you're not <laughs> drawing a lot of cards, then sure, it's really easy to use all your cards, but you often are not using all of the cards that you need or that you're getting. Often it's because it doesn't tie into your strategy really well. I think that if it tied into your strategy really well, if you got really key cards, there's spots on the board that let you play extra cards without spending very much workers. I I think that if I had cards, it hasn't happened to me. Um, And it could be that I could try and set it up and see what I would do. But I think if I got cards that I really wanted to play, I would probably engineer it so that I would end up playing and using them. But they have to be ones that are all tightly tied and interwoven. If they all, for example, tied into raiding, I would probably play all the ones that tied into raiding and see how much use I got out of them.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. It really just hasn't happened, though, that all of them have are, are that tightly intermeshed. Yeah,
1: and, and again, that's just the luck of the draw, isn't
0: it? Yeah. I mean, it does come down to luck of the draw. I don't think it's a bad thing, though. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, necessarily. I, I mean, it's... How do I phrase this? It doesn't create a really feel bad moment in the game. It's it's not <laughs> it's not disappointing when it doesn't come out with a card you get. I don't think that you can often say, Oh man, I didn't win because of it. I haven't seen getting a whole bunch of cards out to be a really winning strategy. I simply haven't. If someone beats me once because they got a whole bunch of cards and were able to use every single one of their card with absolute benefit, you might hear me come back and complain about this a bit more. But in my plays of it so far, I simply haven't seen it be a a huge strategy because often I've seen people play cards and I've done it myself. I've played cards and they made horrible use of them. Like, for example, I've mentioned a couple times, there's one card that gives you raid plus one for each time you raid. So I've been like, oh, I got that. I'm going to use that, and I'm going to raid, and I'm going to get that extra plus one every time. So I do things like I'll roll, and I'll get a ten. And I say, hmm, I actually need that nine-cost card. (laughs) So I'm going to get that (laughs) nine-cost tile instead, and I'm not even using everything I rolled, never mind the extra plus one. Or I'll do things like I'll roll an eight, and I'll say, "Hmm, the only one I really wanted was a sixteen. I guess I'll just lose," (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. So you make horrible one that also I thought I would use really well. There's three different types of boats: there's a whaling boat, a trading boat, and a raiding boat. They have like special Viking names, but a whaling boat, trading boat, and and raiding boat. And there's one card that lets you use the trading boat as a whaling boat. Um, as excuse me, uh the trading boat as a uh raiding boat. And I got that one and I played it and I said, I'm gonna make great use of this throughout the game. I did it. <laughs> um <laughs> you cannot load on extra ore to give you plus points using that. You have to use other resources to get bonuses. So the most use I got out of it was to play there's a four cost, a four Viking cost spot that if you have two raiding boats, you can just get a free big tile. And so that was the only place I was using for I wasn't often using it to go do raids because I had other boats that I was using to go do raids, which gave me more pluses. I would just use that for the four cost tile. And I think I would have been just fine not using that. I don't think I even won that game.
1: Yeah, you you know the whole not being able to use cards thing, that's familiar. That's happened to me when I played Terraforming Mars recently. It's, you know, I kept getting all these cards and it's like, oh I'm gonna use that and that and sometimes they just don't line up the way you want to and by the time I realize I, I should use some of the cards, it's like, Oh, I should have used that about four turns ago, now it's not worth I did it. not know you had terraforming Mars. I don't I played it at the Friendly Local Game Store a few weeks ah, back. Okay. Somebody else said it was a multiplayer game. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I really want to get to play of that in. How long does a game last? Of uh, when
0: I'm playing it solo, it lasts about an hour. I think I've talked before about when I had to cut a game short very fast and ended up with 20 points. Um, yes, you theoretically win in solo if you get 100 points. Um, that was a horrible, horrible game because <laughs> I had to cut it short because the kids woke up. It takes about an hour, I think, playing it solo. It takes about two hours playing it multiplayer. At least that. Um it's not a short game. It's a very pleasant, very rich, very heavy uh Euro game with a lot of a lot of planning, a lot of trying to figure out the best way to interact on a slim margin for how to gain things because you know there's not a big point difference in things that you can get, and it's difficult to really understand how to maximize the value of each of your actions. So it, it can be tricky.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: It's also tricky to fit everything back in the box. Really? It is. Even with the inserts? There well, there's two trays that are used for organizing the tiles. Um but I those uh, those do take up a bunch of the box, but there's still there's not really there's there's no other organization method for all the wood pieces. So mm-hmm. the ores, the wood, the stone, The silver tiles do not fit in the trays. The ship tiles do not fit in the trays. So all those things had to go somewhere separate. Um, Originally, when I got the game, I had all of those bagged up and just sort of in the box. It filled up the box to the brim. As tall as the box still is, it filled up the box to the brim. But it was a lot of trouble doing that, and so I went and bought one Plano 3600 to fit those pieces that I just listed and fit it in that way. So now it's all it, those pieces are on a plane. And then it's really a Tetris game to fit everything in the box and <laughs> still have it close. I wish it was an extra quarter inch taller, just to oh make God. it a little bit easier to close just a touch.
1: Yeah. You know, I've got um, fields of arrow and I have not punched it at all. Cause I look at it and I don't know what I'm going to do with it after I've punched everything, how I'm going to store that. I can't even imagine. So every once in a while I'll pull it out, and look at it, and I'll close it back up and put it away.
0: I'm sure someone has posted a way to do it.
1: Yeah, I've seen people have made custom inserts.
0: Uh, I'm sure somebody's done something with a Plano. Maybe, yep.
1: But, I mean, that has honestly kept me from playing.
0: I mean, I don't like, I don't want the time to do custom inserts. I'm perfectly happy with plastic, finding some way to work it out.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I could do a bunch of Ziploc baggies. That might work too, right? But <laughs> that sometimes could be pull- pretty hard to pull out and then try and play when you have it like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, when I look, I see lots of foam core inserts that look really great. It's like, oh, yeah, I need them. Maybe I should just wait till somebody makes an insert for it and buy it. Could be. They might already exist. Definitely not
0: the sort of thing that I'm aware of if it is.
1: Hmm. But you know, it's a shame that that, and I'm sure I'm not the only like that, that. That not having an insert keeps me from playing the game.
0: I yeah, I don't have that problem. <laughs> I just tend to figure out how to do how to get an insert that
2: yeah. <laughs> fits well
0: with the game. So um, super heavy, super thinky game. One nice thing also, uh, you know, I think that many people on the guild are possibly already involved in this. There's a whole set of challenges that people are putting out for Feasts of Odin, and I have not actually played any of these. I'll be honest. One main reason is is because we've talked about Shabbos before. I've only once played the game when it wasn't Shabbos, and that was the one time when I played scored 24 points, so I didn't feel like I had a lot of time for playing around with it then. I've been playing this game only on Shabbos, <laughs> but I know that there are these challenges, and mm-hmm. it may be worth printing one off at one point in time, where people have fixed setups for Uh, setting up the game so about what it is that you have access to and what occupations you have access to and things like that and these are interesting little challenges i like that they're going on because by default in the game there's nothing really challenging you if you think you have one plan that works really well there's nothing really preventing you from nailing down and refining that plan And then all that's left is maybe the luck of the die. If you're completely ignoring cards for your plan and you think, oh, I know which way, which actions give you the most points, I've got this nailed, it's possible that maybe it could be solved in it, maybe, but with these challenges, I don't think that's really possible. Now these, these these solo challenges, just to make it clear, by the way, these are solo challenges. Mm-hmm. These are not multiplayer challenges, but they are solo challenges and solo competitions about different ways okay. to set up the game. So, like new scenarios, which is good fun. I I like that this exists. I don't mm-hmm. think this was yep. something. I have no idea if this was something that was envisioned by the okay. original people by uve or by z-man i have no idea but there are a whole set of scenarios and it's neat like for instance at the time we're recording it right now um you get there's a starting occupation list of of things that you have and so you get a starting occupation uh, the current one is called the way of the sheep and so you get shepherd you are required to explore um, the old Faroe Island, which <laughs> they had the other the, the one of the types got reprinted, which I can't believe they made you do that. Um but so this requires the old Pharaoh Island. Um dark brown occupation cards are worth three victory points and have no other effect. And the strong occupation is worth zero points as a one time benefit only. So there's a different setup for the game and a different challenge for the game requiring you to do this, and then you have to, you're competing with other people online to see how many points you have.
1: Okay. Yep, that's neat. That's like the Solitaire Guild challenges, definitely.
0: Exactly, but it seems like it's a weekly thing going on with other people, and there's already a whole bunch of challenges that they've already made. So if you find you've done one, which. I think having probably one challenge a week would be just fine. But if you've already done one, they already have what, 8, 10? they already have eleven that are are currently up at the time that we're recording. So probably by next week they'll have twelve. Yeah, cool.
1: Mm-hmm. That is neat. So I think there's a lot more replayability. How how much replayability do you think is it in? I think there's a fair amount.
0: I, I'm finding myself really enjoying having a the heavier Thinky games. Um I find that the shorter games get played when I have a brief amount of time, but for an evening or a Shabbos evening, I'm enjoying having a a thicker, heavier game. I think there is a fair amount of replayability in this one, as long as you're willing to continue to challenge yourself either with these challenges, um, which again, there's no win-loss, it's still just challenge yourself for a high, high score, or for getting a new high score. It's not like one of the co-op games where there's a new scenario and you have to beat the scenario and it's a win-lose. You have to continue to challenge yourself to get more points, and you also have to try and challenge yourself to try and do it a different way. We mentioned last week how I liked how the solo rules for Energy Empire required you to use some of the end game bonus tiles in order to actually win the game. I think it would have been nice if it required you to like bank a certain number of points or a certain number of uses of your occupation cards, because then it would have really made each game different. If for example, the rules would have said in solo place a silver coin on a, on an occupation card. Every time you use it, you must have at least six, coins on occupation cards at the end of the game in order to win. You know That would be interesting because then it would mean each Mm -hmm. scenario plays each time you play through it plays differently because you have to use a different set of cards from a thick set of cards. That is not in there. So it's up to you when you're playing the game to get that replayability in yourself. You're not forced to get that replayability. If you're the sort of person that says, okay, fine, I'm in it because I think that this string of 20 uh, of twenty actions gets me the most points. And I think that if I change this action to this action, I may get a bit more points. If that's going to give you joy and pleasure, fine. If you get more joy and pleasure, like I do, from experimenting with different types of things you can do, from different ways to score points, different strategies, different types of things on your board... There's definitely a lot of different options in the game, especially once different cards come out each game, to get a lot of that in. So I think that there is the replayability in there, but the replayability is not, if I may, handed to you on a silver platter.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I guess there's some more replayability because of the random ramden- randomness, but nah, no. You're
0: talking about in terms of the random die rolls or in terms of yes. the random cards? Well, no, yeah, all that. Not the random die roll, definitely not the random die roll. That is that is so minor. The random cards will give you some replayability, but again, I've not had the feeling that those random that occupation cards play too heavy yeah. on your game because often they don't interact well with your game.
1: Okay. That makes sense.
0: But I think that if, I mean, certainly that you can tell from the fact that there's so many scenarios in here that the community is creating that I think will also show you that there's, you can challenge yourself with different scenarios. I think if Z-Man were to pick up these scenarios and start doing them even nicer with, uh, with you know, printable type stuff, I, I think that scenarios would be a mm. great way to make really long lasting if, if Z-Man were to pick it up. In the meantime, we have Board Game Geek.
1: Yep. Yeah, it'd be nice if they published just a little tiny box that had 10 or 20 scenarios in it with maybe some extra components. Yeah. To to go, oh, that'd be be great. So do you think if you're strictly a solo player, this this game is worth it, considering that cost? Oh. It's an expensive game.
0: I guess. The game costs, we talked about, its MSRP is is $100. (sighs) Right. Ouch. And... You can get it on Miniature Market for $85. I think that you may actually have a hard time finding it anywhere. I think that the next printing is supposed to be out at the end of this quarter. Um, you, you may find it go some places, like a couple have popped up here and there, but it's supposed to be out end of this quarter with another printing. But it's supposed to be $85. Um, it's certainly worth it for the amount of components you get in the game. The art is really good, and you get a whole bunch of components and a whole bunch of things in here. You get a lot of wood pieces, a lot of tokens, a lot of houses. In terms of the amount of components, it is a stuffed box. There's a lot of things in here. I mean, it's a tough question. Like Terraforming Mars is is a fifty dollar game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or let's actually let's let's quote to something that I, I've played more and recently um Wizard Academy. Uh Wizard's Academy is 60 bucks. So Wizard's Academy is another great game. But this one is is $25 more. Will I get $25 more value out of this than the Wizard's Academy? I don't even know how to answer that question. It is so hard <laughs> because I don't know how you value how you value the dollar for the gameplay.
1: Yeah, it it's so hard. You can't really compare games. It, I mean, it, it is such a personal decision, too. I
0: think it I, I think I am not displeased. I did not pay 85 for it. I got it back when it was going for I think back then it was only 70. Um, so I got it back before Asmodee got involved. Um, I was very happy with the price I paid for it for the amount of components in the game. They are high quality, very good card stock, very good cards, good, good stuff in there, well rules. It's a, a treat to play. I really enjoy playing the game, and I get a lot of enjoyment. So I do not have any regrets for the price that I paid for it. It's an expensive game. It certainly is an expensive game.
1: Buy it at the newer
0: price. I, I, th- I would not pay a hundred dollars for it, but that's just me. Um, but buying it for eighty five, it's an expensive game, but, I, I, I would, wa- I would want it. I would certainly want it for eighty five dollars. I would certainly yeah. be really, really turning over in my mind about getting it. <laughs> I would probably end yeah. up picking it up at even at the eighty five. I probably would but that's also because I don't have any other Uwe Rosenberg games in my personal collection. I don't have anything else. And this is, in my opinion, the best of his games so far of the ones I've played, which I I have to look back and see. Uh, I think Aura at labora is maybe the only one I haven't played. Now then, I'll grant mm-hmm. you, I own this one, and I've certainly played this one at this point in time more than any of other ones, but I thought that, I, I mean, I thought that that's why, I, I thought it would be, and, you know, hmm. I believe I was okay. correct.
1: Yeah, I've played Auron Laboro twice, once solo, once not, and I had a hard time with the, the complete like a randomness in the game, personally. And so because of that, I've kind of not played it solo again. But of all
0: the other Uwe Rosenberg games, I think this is, in my opinion, his best one. Okay. Patchwork, maybe second best. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. Well, I I think that's also in terms of plays. I've actually played Patchwork many more times than I've played um, Feast for Odin, but that's really because at one point in time my wife was just really digging on Patchwork and wanted to play it like every week, and so it got a whole bunch of plays. (laughs)
1: Okay. Okay. You know, I was, I was thinking about that game today. I wonder if it will go well in my house. I
0: don't know.
1: Who knows? Yeah, me either.
0: I don't know. But yeah, so um, Patchwork, Patchwork was a really, really good game. I really liked what he did with that. I, th- I think from what I've seen, Patchwork is better than Cottage Garden. But again, I haven't played Cottage Garden, so I couldn't tell you. But I think of, of his heavier games, I think that um, Feast for Odin is definitely the best of them. And I think it is if you're looking for a heavy game, if you're looking for a really thick, heavy game to sink your teeth into, I think this is an excellent one to be picking up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I
1: wanted now, have to have one played... of those in my collection. <laughs> have you played Agricola with expansions?
0: Um, which expansions?
1: The Farmers on the Moor? Uh, no, I have with not, the, although the I have horse? seen
0: it played, so I'm familiar with it.
1: Okay. Okay. It does add a lot to the game. So I was just wondering if you had an uh, an opinion on that compared to this or compared to the original Greek Law. But doesn't matter.
0: Well you're so quick you're so quick to say what doesn't matter.
1: Yeah I am. It just doesn't matter. You know what I think doesn't matter?
0: <laughs> Your opinion on what this game is missing.
1: Well, this game is so heavy, it's not missing anything. I think everything's in there. Oh, really? Then your opinion definitely doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Or we may never find out if, for example, we take the last poll into consideration because the last poll never got posted. But let's just take a quick poll right now. Everyone, shut up. Listening to the podcast at this moment, who they think should have won. Those in favor of Albert's word say yeah. Mhm, mhm. sounded pretty dialed. Oh, Mike woke up. Those in favor of Julius's word say yeah.
0: Well, I guess I guess we'll just let uh, you go first then cuz that's what you tend to do. Anyway.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. What's what's my new word? As with every time, we have a whole list
0: of words, and Albert and I are going to be arguing about which one of these words more fits into the game and is missing from the game we reviewed this episode. So this time, Albert and I are going to be arguing about which one fits better in Feast for Odin. Um, Albert, your word is a submission from Mark Perry, Math Teachers. Um, My word is... Um, we actually also ended up picking from Mark Perry. Again, these are random picks, so the fact that they came up close to each other is just a random pick. But mine also were from Mark Perry. Now, then, it actually seems like it's a pair of words. Um, Albert and Julius. So I guess I'm theoretically supposed to talk about how I would fit in the game.
1: Yes. (laughs) I like it. Oh, you like it? (laughs) I think that's funny. Didn't he send an email about that, possibly?
0: All right. Well, if you could, I guess we'll go for it. I was going to say, sure. it seems weird for me to talk about myself.
1: If, if you feel you belong in that game, why, say oh
0: Okay. It? All right. Well, I suppose <laughs> if that's how we want to roll, that's how we want to roll. Um, Mark, the entire argument today is entirely your fault, and I blame you entirely.
1: <laughs> Albert.
0: On your marks, get set, go.
1: Oh my gosh, this game is a euro game. How could it not use a math teacher? Seriously, this game is all about math. You're trying to get points. You need somebody to help you with all the complicated math, figuring out the best move and not possible and the hardest move. Imagine the great equation he'll come up with it for you. It's perfect. Every game needs a math teacher. Stop. Every euro game. All right, well, I'm going to give that another shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Three, two, one. So you basically went on about how it needs a math teacher because there's math. So essentially you said it fits into every Euro game because every Euro game has math. So you didn't actually argue at all about this one. Whereas I have to talk about how I fit in the game because I am an ice Viking and there's already pictures of me all over the internet as an ice Viking from the (laughs) game Harbor. So I fit in because I'm a Viking.
1: Done. Uh. (laughs) Ah. Touche. We we shall see. All right, you have a five second rebuttal. Hmm. Go. You're not an ice Viking. You're a podcaster. I have two. <laughs> I, I'm an ice Viking. Yes, I have. I, I do have your card. In um, what is that game? Harbor. Uh, Harbor. Yes, yep. fun little game. Did I send you that card, or did you get that from something else? I got it because it came in another game in um They came in bottle cap vikings yes and that's another fun game oh really i like it yep i play with my son every once in a while i did not like it no no it's it's very light and you know the last time we played it i was feeling sick that day i don't remember what i had but i was just heading around right to he was dying to play game She so said let's play bottle cap vikings it's it's easy enough to play and interesting enough
0: i actually did not like it but we'll have to talk about that another time because we're at the end of the podcast
1: Another show. Wow. It's only an hour and a half. Oh, let's see how long uh...
0: users wait. All right. Good night, listeners. Thanks for listening. We love feedback. So we love hearing from you. Albert already hung up on you, so he can't say goodnight, but he's saying goodnight over Skype. He says goodnight. Albert says that I should tell everyone that he's going to... What's that, Albert? You're starting a new Kickstarter? What was
2: that, Albert? Oh, yeah? That sounds amazing. Alright, goodnight, Albert.